Will you bow your heads with me? God, as we get ready to open up your holy word, may you give us a fresh word this morning. We know a lot of the stories. We've heard them time and time again. This morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us new insight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we are... This morning we are beginning a new sermon series, and we are calling it The Victorious Limp. Now, when we talk about Christianity and our life of faith, oftentimes, sound a little loud, oftentimes we talk about the life of faith as the victorious life. Isn't that true? Right? So we talk about it as the victorious life, but oftentimes what I find is it doesn't always feel so victorious. It oftentimes feels like... Like, it's always one mountain after another or one obstacle after another. And so this morning we're doing, a, or this series is a play on the victorious life, but it's the victorious limp. And to illustrate this, the best way that I could think of as I was praying over this and thinking about this, I have a minute and a half video clip, and it's something you've probably seen. So Aaron, did you, uh, do you have that video clip? Um, watch, and then I'll talk about it. Oh, there's no sound. You guys remember that, right? 1996. Clearly looks like she wants to cry. And if you've ever sprained your ankle, you know how painful that is. So if you remember the story correctly, this was, she was the final, is it the final, is that the vault? Or no, the... And um, she was the last hope for the U.S. team to win the gold medal. And she couldn't land it, and so she has one more try, or she has two more tries. One sixteen to do. She will go, and she is ready. Announcer says the last thing she should have done is vaulted again, and she still did it. And not only did she do it through the pain, but she won them the gold. The best illustration I could come up with for the Christian life is something that looks like that. We don't just give up because something is difficult. We don't just give up because the task seems insurmountable. We don't give up because everything doesn't line up exactly the way it's supposed to because we have a God that we call a shepherd that leads us. 
the victorious life doesn't always look so victorious. And yet that is the life that we live, except that sometimes we live it with a limp. And so I want to read to you a passage that has helped to kind of shape this sermon series. Brendan Manning in the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've never read it, it's a book that I think you need to, if you have a Kindle, download it tonight. If you um, go on, wherever you go to buy your books, this is a book that has shaped the way I understand God's grace. And so this is what Brendan Manning writes. The New Testament depicts another picture of the victorious life, Jesus on Calvary. The biblical image of the victorious life reads more like the victorious limp. Jesus was victorious, not because he never flinched, talked back, or questioned, but having flinched, talked back, and questioned, he remained faithful. The video that we see is of a girl who remains not only faithful to her team, but faithful to her country. When you're in the Olympics, and I've never been there or participated, but when you're doing it for a country, what I read when you're, uh, when you're performing for a country, what I've read is that it pushes you far beyond what you could naturally do because the adrenaline is so much, you push yourself to great lengths, to greater lengths. And she did it limping. And what Brendan Manning talks about here is that's the way we live our life. It's not always going to be easy. He says Jesus flinched. He talked back. He questioned. But through all that, he remained faithful. And I want to read to you the next. It's another, it's like a couple of slides, but it's, it's just so you can understand this and you're going to like it. It's kind of funny too. It says, most of the descriptions of the, of the victorious life do not match the reality of my own. Hyperbole, bloated rhetoric, and grandiose testimonies create the impression that once Jesus is acknowledged as Lord, the Christ life becomes a picnic on a green lawn. Marriage blossoms into connubile bliss physical health flourishes, acne disappears, and sinking careers suddenly soar. The victorious life is proclaimed to mean that everyone is a winner. An attractive 20-year-old accepts Jesus and becomes Miss America. A floundering lawyer conquers alcoholism and whips F.E.F. Lee Bailey in court. A 10th-round draft choice for the Green Bay Packers goes to the Pro Bowl. Miracles occur, conversions abound, church attendance skyrockets, ruptured relationships get healed, shy people become gregarious, and the Atlanta Braves win the World Series. We know where he's coming from. <sighs> Idyllic descriptions of victory in Jesus are more often colored by cultural and personal expectations than by Christ and the ragamuffin gospel. Isn't it true? We think that once you accept Jesus, then you're going to be back on the right road. Once you accept Jesus, that everything is going to fall into place. That once we accept Jesus, that's going to save your marriage. That once you accept Jesus, then you're going to win the political office that you're running for. That once you accept Jesus, everything is going to be better. But the truth you and I know is it doesn't always happen that way. And so the question that then arises is then why should I believe in that God? If it's not going to happen that way, then why should I trust that God if it's not going to turn out right? Why attempt to have a relationship with this Jesus if life still is hard after I've accepted them? It's the idea that Jesus is supposed to make everything better, and sometimes after accepting Jesus, things, they do not magically change overnight. Amen? 
or whatever the opposite of amen would be, but I don't think we can use that word in church. But isn't that true? People who give Jesus a try, if things don't turn around right away, then it's like, then it's not worth it. Then it's not, it's not what people were telling me. If he's not going to cure this, if, he's not gonna, if I'm not going to get through this in a painless way, then I don't want any part of it. But the truth is that that's not how life works. So I think that there's these two realities that are kind of a part of the Christian life. The first reality is that there is a sin problem, but Jesus takes care of that. There's a sin problem, and the Bible says that all who sin will inevitably die an eternal death. However, Jesus changes that, and Jesus laying down his life for us instantly gives us the ability and the privilege and the inheritance that we will live in eternity with God. So God takes care of the sin problem, but then the other reality we live in is in this world. And in this world, things aren't always perfect. And in this world, I don't, have to, I don't even have to preach this part of the sermon, but in this life, things aren't always the way we want them to be, and we expect Jesus as this cosmic Santa Claus to fix everything. But the truth is that it's, it doesn't always happen that way, and the Bible doesn't teach us that. The Bible doesn't teach us that God's going to fix everything. The Bible tells us that God will walk alongside us. When God gives himself, gives Jesus a name, he says his name will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And if God by nature is with us, God cannot be God without us. So God is always with us. And so we come to Psalm 23, the text that we'll be looking at for some time. You know, Psalm 23 is often a text that is read at funerals, right? If you go to a funeral, and then one of our members was at a funeral this morning, and I don't know, but they may have read it there because for some reason, this text gives comfort. But the more that I've read this, the more that I've studied this, the more I realize that this is actually a prescription for the Christian life. I mean, a lot of the Bible is, but this text in specific is very powerful and has a lot to say to us. And so we begin with verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Antiquated language. I don't see sheep anywhere. So the idea that God is a shepherd sometimes gets lost on us. What's interesting about this is that the God of the universe, the God who creates all things, that has the power to do all things, the God that is moving history forward, the God who doesn't have to waste his time on us is actually a God who chooses to be our shepherd. Another way of saying it would be this. The God that doesn't have to be there with us chooses to always be there with us. And not only be there with us, but it is this God that leads us. A shepherd is one who protects, someone who cares for, and someone who leads the sheep. Now, if you don't believe me or take my word for it, I would encourage you to take the words of Scripture John chapter 10, verse 2 through 4, it says this, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes where? Ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The Lord is my shepherd, and he leads the way. I want to read the second part of this passage. 
whoever, and this is Jesus speaking, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. <laughs> That's an editorial text back there. Commentary about God as shepherd. The sheep know my voice. I lead them. I care for them. And I lead the way. And so the question that we have to ask of ourselves, and the question that I would challenge you is, who is your shepherd? Or we could say it this way, whose lead are you following? Who are you walking behind? If we're honest with ourselves, as much as we want to follow the lead of Jesus, I think that if we are 100% honest with ourselves, and I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but we probably follow our own lead most of the time. We do it because it's our life, and we have a hard time depending on other people. Isn't that true? We have a hard time depending on other people or trusting other people to make sure that they have the best their, that, that they have our best interests at hand. What's even harder when it comes to a relationship with God is that we can't see God. What makes it so difficult is that God is not a tangible thing that is here right in front of us, but, but it's something, in a sense, that's more it's felt. The Bible says that God, the mystery of God is that He lives in our heart within us, which is an ancient way of saying that He he becomes a part of who we are. But oftentimes, instead of following the lead of God or following the lead of Jesus as shepherd, oftentimes we follow our own lead because we believe that we know what's best for us, but it's kind of what happens at the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they felt, although they were slightly tempted, but Adam and Eve believed that eating of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would open their eyes. They thought that that's what would make their life so much better, and they went with it. It looked good. It smelled good. It, maybe it probably tasted really good. But it wasn't what was best for them. And so when we come to the Lord is my shepherd, is are we really following God, and is he really my shepherd? Now, in 2011, when we read this passage, it's something that we memorize in Sabbath school. It's something... I had to memorize this when I went into seminary. There's, a, there's an exam that they give you when you get there, and you have to memorize certain passages of Scripture. There's like five or six of them. And this was one of them because it's like a staple text. And it's so familiar that we just read right past, the Lord is my shepherd. But what's interesting about this text, and this is where it affects you and I, is that in the Bible, when the Bible writers talk about God as shepherd, he is shepherd of the entire nation of Israel or all of the believers. A shepherd isn't just a shepherd of one sheep, because then that's just a pet. But a shepherd is a shepherd of many. So when David writes this psalm, where David would normally write a psalm of prayer, or of supplication, or even a lament, on this one, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is an invitation 
for us to a personal relationship with God. Where everywhere else in Scripture, shepherd is for all of us at the same time together, David says the Lord is my personal shepherd. God is interested in each one of us as individuals. He's interested in us as a whole, but God also cares for you and I on an individual level, which is why he listens when we pray, which is why sometimes when you don't even know it, God is walking alongside you and he helps you through the rough patch. God is deeply interested in who you are. And if you don't believe me, I want to look at all of the titles of God. And just to prove the point, I'm going to read them all. The Bible describes, and there's biblical references for this, so if you want it, I can send it to you. God is my advocate, comforter in sorrow, wonderful counselor, my strong deliverer, our Father, a sure foundation, God Almighty, God who avenges me, our guide, our help, great high priest, my hope, righteous judge, our leader, light of life, Lord of the harvest, the most holy Prince of Peace, Refuge and Strength, my Savior, Sovereign Lord, my support, Bread of Life, my confidence, Defender of the Widows, Faithful and True, a Consuming Fire, a Friend, God of all comfort, God who saves me, Head of the Church, my Hiding Place, Holy One among you, Jealous, King of Kings, your life, Lord of Lords, Mediator, our Peace, my Redeemer, my Salvation, the Good Shepherd, my Stronghold, and my Teacher. Those are just a few. You cannot tell me that God has not been one or more of these things in your life, and God will continue to be all of these things. And sometimes God's work, God works through other people to be these things to you. But these names of God, they're not just titles, but a name in the ancient world is about who you were, which is why all of these Bible writers, if, Bible uh, characters, if you read the Bible, it'll give them the name, like Israel, the one who wrestles with God. So in a name, it's not just a label that we give one another so that you know that I'm David and not John or, or Walter or whatever other name. It's just a way to identify me. But in the Old Testament, it was a way to say who you actually are. And what the Bible writers do is that they give all of these names to God because that is how they have experienced him. And what's powerful about that is that if it's true, if it was true for them, it's also true for us. And we come back to the words, the Lord is my shepherd. And we look at Exodus chapter 3. God is talking to Moses. And Moses says, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, who is his, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Now when we read this story, we know how the story ends. But they would not know how the story would end for them. Here's what's even more important. This is a they were asked, Moses was asking the Israelites to believe in a God that had, that had been silent for hundreds of years. How do you believe in a God like that? And so Moses knew that they were going to ask him not just what is his name, but what is in a name is how can we know that he is credible? 
how can we know that this God who, if he is the God of our ancestors, has let us get into this place and has been seemingly absent for a couple of hundred years, how do you expect us to believe in this God? And so God responds by telling them, I am who I am. That doesn't even make sense. So as we, as, we, as we go a little bit further, a better way to translate this, and I'll tell you this, so I am the I am, it is in the first person plural common call imperfects. So are we all on the same page now? Of the verb to be. So perhaps the better way to translate this is I am being that I am being. That doesn't really make sense either, right? That's why the Bible translators have to make a decision, and it sounds better, I am the I am. But an even better way is, I am the one, I am the is-in-one. I-S-I-N-G. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not boring you because this is exciting. Or a better way is, I am the one who always is. That's why we go to school. <laughs> I am the one who always is. God doesn't give an explanation, well, I am the God that this, this, this. He's like, I just am, and I'll prove it to you. That's God's way of working in this world. You don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't work on your time. I'm sorry. I mean, does a parent have to explain to their child all the time? I've learned this. I used to. I'm a step-parent, since you guys are visiting. And I would tell my kids, hey, do this. Why? Well, because it needs to be done. But why? Like, because I'm not going to do it. But a year deep, I'm like, hey, clean that up. Why? Because I said. I have a sense that God is just, I'm the one who always is because that's just the way it is. And you have to trust me on this one. And you just, and, and it hurts me as much as it hurts you that you're going through this. And I may not like the outcome like you're not going to like the outcome. And it may be a difficult, steep path, and it may be a very low valley, but you just have to trust me on this. The Christian life, isn't about how good you can be, how well you know the doctrines, how, how, you know, how well you, you know, live up to the Seventh-day Adventist motto, but to the, the true essence of a Christian is do you even trust God? Because if you don't trust God, everything that you're doing on the outside doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's do you trust God to be your shepherd or are you continually trying to be the shepherd of your own life? When the Bible writers talk about repentance, they're not saying repent like confess your sins. The word repentance is to turn. And for God, it was turn from yourself for us. So God is telling us turn from yourself, from your own way of thinking, from thinking that you're smarter than everybody else, from thinking that you're smarter than me. Turn away from thinking that you're it. And just let me lead. Now, I don't know about you, but living this way is extremely difficult. I hate having to make all of the right decisions all of the time, don't you? You never know if it's the right decision anyway. Sometimes you do, and sometimes it's the bad decision, it's the wrong decision, and you suffer. 
And yet God is inviting us. The, the gospel is an invitation to allow God to lead in our lives, and it requires that we trust him. Sometimes we're still going to choose our own way, but we must continually come back to the God of the universe who is the shepherd. I don't know about you, but, I, but if, I, if I need my car fixed, this is a bad analogy, but if I need my car fixed, I'm going to go to the guy that I think knows the most about mechanics. If I need to have surgery, I'm going to go to the guy that everybody says knows the best about this particular surgery. Okay, if I need anything, I am going to go to the person that everyone says is the best at it because I want to go to that guy because it's my life. So wouldn't it make sense that the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the one who always is, wouldn't it make sense that we follow his lead? Because if he was there at the beginning and is here now and will be in the future, he kind of has a better view of what things, how things are going to work out. Amen? And so my challenge and my invitation and my call to you this morning, my appeal to you this morning, is that you would just open your heart enough to God and say, will you lead me? This passage, the Lord is my shepherd, is really a question of whose lead are you following? Who do you really follow? Because you either follow God or you don't. You either trust God or you don't. There is no fence sitting when it comes to this. You can't kind of believe. You can't kind of trust. You can't kind of follow. If you are in that position, then you know that that's no way to live because you're always second-guessing everything. I would challenge you to live a life that you abandon to God and say, will you lead me every step of the way? Will you help me? Will you form me? Will you shape me? You see, God is either your shepherd or he's not. And what we find in the Bible, and I don't know if I have this last text on here, but what we find in the Bible is when we make other things and other people our shepherds, God says this, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. Is this sweat off of God's back? Does this really affect God? He says they have committed two evils, but the only people that these things affect, the only people that these affect are who? Ourselves. And he says they have rejected me, the one who gives them everything, that sustains them, everything they want. No, instead they've gone to another God that has a physical statue idol because they need something to see. And God says, so they messed up once. And the second thing, it's a metaphor. They have dug up cisterns that hold water that are cracked. And if you have something that's cracked that's supposed to hold water, what happens to it? It pours out. You see, when we don't follow God, when we don't allow God to be our shepherd, the one who suffers is us. The one who suffers is you. If you've lived the life where you've been your own leader and your own shepherd, you know how difficult that can be. The Christian life, the life of faith, isn't one that will be perfect. It's one that will inhibit the victorious limb where it's going to be tough and it's going to be hard and it's not always going to be great and there will be times of happiness and joy and peace and goodness. It's all a part of the life we live in. But yet this life that we live in is still a gift. And it's the gift that God keeps on giving. 
And even if we don't understand everything, and even if we have to face some situations that don't end well, that's why God gives us the hope of a day when all who believe in him will be resurrected, never to die again. It's a fail-safe. Even if, even if we experience difficulty here, there will be a day of the great resurrection. And on that day, everything will be different. And so we always look forward to that hope, even if it's not now. And one final word about that, one final word about that. If you're one of the people that's going through, like, Pastor, that's awesome. I love what you're saying, but you don't know my situation. I don't. But I know what the scripture tells us. And I know that God will not leave you alone no matter what any outcome may be. Because God is infinitely invested in you. God values you beyond imaginable, like what you can imagine. We often say, I'm not worthy of salvation. Well, I'd like to scratch that and say, maybe we're not worthy, but God deems us valuable enough that he would still lay his life down for us. And I don't know about you, but if you would lay your life down for somebody, the ultimate sign of, of, of that's the end, if this is a God who would give his life for us, I know that he will give so much more in his life. And he is continuing and will continue to give to you as long as you are open to him and as long as you follow. Will you pray? God, we... Um, in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls, we want to follow you. We want you to be our shepherd. We want to be protected by you. But God, you have to understand that sometimes that's difficult to swallow. Because we live here. But God, we pray that you would help us where we are resistant. That you would help us where we are denying you. That you would help us where we are doubting your, your ability to do things. Lord, we pray that you would change that around. God, we pray that we would follow behind you as you lead us down the straight and narrow, as you lead us on the path that leads us to more and abundant life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.